Hi there, and a very warm welcome to Season 3, Episode 14 of People Soup. It's Ross McIntosh here. Now, P-Supers, I promised you some cracking interviews, and true to my word, here's the first one. It's a two-part conversation with Suzanne Tarrant. Suzanne is a consultant clinical psychologist and head of the Staff Psychological Wellbeing Service for Howell Thar University Health Board. In the first episode, we'll get to know a bit about Suzanne's background and also explore the development of the Staff Psychological Wellbeing Service in the Health Board. We'll also hear about the incorporation of ACT into the strategic approach. And let's go over for a snippet from the interview right now, where Suzanne describes the response to their ACT in the workplace training. Uh, Some people have had experience, for example, of mindfulness before, um, different bits and pieces, but the way in which the the components are presented, the skills are are built up over the um, the program, over the weeks. People have really taken to that and, and have practiced and have seen how the practicing of these skills actually does make a difference to how we experience life, how we, how we can engage with life in a meaningful way. In this episode, Suzanne also provides some fantastic tips on delivering workplace training refreshing the skills and encouraging attendance. People Soup is a community of people who are interested in behavioural science at work and how we can make it accessible, fun and useful for ourselves and each other. At work, behavioural science has the capacity to enhance our well-being, help us to be the person we want to be more often and provide us with perspectives to enable cooperation, collaboration and innovation. It was psychologist Abraham Maslow who said, A first-rate soup is more creative than a second-rate painting. That was the inspiration for this podcast. More than ever, the world of work is a heady mix of people, behaviour, events and challenges. When the blend is right, it can be first-rate. Behavioural science and psychology has a lot to offer in terms of recipes, ingredients, seasoning, spices and utensils. So welcome to People Soup. In news, I'm recording more amazing interviews, P-Supers. You've got a right Advent treat in store. I'm also trying a different way to share your feedback from previous episodes, which are launched during the coming week. My idea is to try and present feedback from different social media channels, and sometimes from face-to-face conversations, in an update on the website at rossmackintosh.co.uk, and that should land midweek. Incidentally, I've had a wonderful response to the episode on grief at work, which I'll be focusing on in the first feedback update. In that episode, I talk about what I've found useful in responding to my own grief, including a metaphor, a model, and a poem. If you haven't caught it yet, it seems quite appropriate for the coming week, which is National Grief Awareness Week, which starts tomorrow, the 2nd of December. If you do enjoy the People Soup podcast, I'd love it if you would subscribe, rate, and review it, whatever platform you're on. It helps us reach more people with stuff that could be useful. For now, get a brew on and have a listen to part one of my conversation with Suzanne Tarrant. Hey, P-Supers. I am here and in a virtual meeting room with Dr. Suzanne Tarrant. Suzanne, welcome to People Soup. Hi, Ross, and thank you very much for having me. Oh, this is brilliant. You are as clear as a bell. It's like a miracle. I always find it's a miracle that you can speak to someone across this technology. (laughs) It is wonderful. I'm going to start, before I ask you to introduce yourself, Suzanne, 
I'm going to start with what my research department has gleaned about you. Oh, and, this should be interesting. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm always a bit nervous about my research department. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> now, you have a long title, which I I'm going to attempt. <laughs> Consultant Clinical Psychologist and Head of Staff Psychological Wellbeing Service for the Howell Thar University Health Board. That's right. Well done. <laughs> and how did I do with the pronunciation? That was perfect. Very, ah. very good. Whew. I'm going to let the PC present to a secret. We, we practiced that pronunciation a bit before, before I turned the recording equipment on. But there was only you. a slight change to yes, make. Thank something. you for your coaching on that. So the, the research department said you have this enormous commitment to staff well-being. And we first met when myself and Dr. Paul Flaxman, Flaxy Babes, came and shared with you our train the trainer protocol for staff well-being based on ACT. And we did that in Carmarthen. That's right. And you had assembled this amazing, diverse group of people, which ranged from, if I'm, <laughs> if I'm correct, from police to local council. That's right, yes. And it, and it was such a great experience. It was, yes. it was a great experience being in Carmarthen, although it took a <laughs> while to get there on the train. Yes, it, was... it is quite a long way to come. <laughs> but once we got there, it was well worth it to see the the commitment and the connection across these oh. different services. Yes, yes, it was. It was really good to have that group of people together. And, and you made that happen, so, so thank mm. you for that. <laughs> right, what else do the research departments say? They, now, they haven't been stalking you, but they say you can often be seen out in nature with a torch <laughs> strapped to your head. And, and a dog by your side, a collie dog called Bob, yeah. I believe. Yes, that, that, that is true. Especially at this time of year, the head torch becomes an essential piece of kit. When you told me this, I was like, what a legend. Because going out <laughs> running is, is a big enough thing anyway. But in the dark, that's commitment. Yeah, well, there's something specially exciting about running in the dark, especially when you're off-road as well. It feels completely different. Um, and one of the things that I love is that I feel like I'm running faster for some reason, even though I'm not. So that's always a lovely thing to experience. And I, and I guess you've got to be even more connected with your environment and what's going on around. Yes, that's right. For safety's sake, yes. Yeah, Just brilliant. being very aware, very tuned in to all of your senses. And, it, and it's called trail running, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, so just getting off the road and, and onto trails, paths, wherever they may take you. For me, it's the best way to be out running. Wonderful, thank you. And that takes us on to your involvement with organizations where there's a green health agenda and connecting with nature. Yes, that's right. Which could form part of our well-being and recovery, and we'll come on to that in a moment. Okay. Now, what else? My research department came across this term called shirin-yoku, which they tell me is the Japanese term for forest bathing. And I just thought it might be something we may or may not touch upon. It seemed to chime with what your green health agenda work is doing. It's that spending yes. time in a forest to reduce stress and feel a sense of well-being. That's right, yes. And according to Wikipedia, I know it's not always the most reliable source, it says it's one of the cornerstones of Japanese healthcare. Yes, it has become that, interestingly. One other thing that the research department noted is that you, you also forage. Yes, I do. <laughs> and I was privileged to see one tweet from you not so long ago where, where you were listening to this very podcast. I think you were listening to the episode on sleep. You were preparing these amazing looking dishes. You put a photograph of what you were preparing with foraged apples. And it just made me wish I lived a bit nearer so I could come <laughs> and, 
come and get some produce from you. Yes. Yeah, we're, we're very lucky um, in West Wales. We have access to lots of lovely spaces, but also the town where I live, there are lots of trees that have been planted for the community. So when it's autumn time and the apples are there, then they're there for the taking. So lots of apple dishes at the moment. Wonderful. And it's wonderful to hear that because otherwise I guess they'd just go to waste. Oh, yes, they do. It's been such a bumper harvest this year as well that I kept going back for more. So the freezer is chock-a-block full. Oh, I'm dreaming, I'm dreaming of chutney. <laughs> I'll have to come back to Carmarthen. And... You will. Yes. Suzanne, that's my research department. I wonder if you'd like to build on that and tell us a bit about you and your career. Maybe just some highlights to, to help us, us get to know you a bit better. Okay. My career really has been characterized, I think, by a lot of curiosity and a lot of contrast and uncertainty over time. I've often felt as if I have a foot in, in different worlds, kind of bridging very contrasting uh, situations or contexts. Mm. So I was born in England, but I actually grew up in South Africa. So I was transplanted into a new country and culture at the age of nine. Right. Um, and that had quite a big impact on me. But as a young teenager, my desire was to be a Buddhist monk. I don't wow. think I understood at that stage that um, I probably wanted to be a Buddhist nun rather than a monk. Um, <laughs> but I, I've had this fascination with Eastern and Western traditions and also with both science and art. And I've struggled to to find my place. So I've ended up oftentimes, as I said, with a with a foot in each. I had a very early interest in psychology and psychiatry. Mm. But when I went to university, I applied for a BSc. But when I got there, I started doing fine art. Wow. And I sat in front of a sculpture, drawing it for four weeks, started feeling like I was losing my grip on reality. So I changed back to my BSc. Mm. And my career has been a bit like that, as kind of moving from one to the other, never quite sure if, it, if I'm in the right place. And I um, was very fortunate at one point to have a, a meeting with some organizational psychologists in London. So I'd, I'd done my undergraduate psychology training, mm -hmm. uh, stuck with that, actually done a master's in critical psychology as well. This is all in South Africa. Right. And then I wasn't quite sure where to go with all of this. So I had this meeting with these organizational psychologists who were working for a large multinational corporation in London. I won't say which one. And I was exploring their, their field of work and finding out what the possibilities might be. But at that stage, my impression was that that whole field was based on the exploitation of the individual for the benefit of company profit. <laughs> so I decided mm. it wasn't for me. And I, going back to South Africa, then I did my clinical psychology training. And you introduced me actually as Dr. Suzanne Tarrant, but I don't actually have that title, Ross, oh, uh, because my sorry. training was in South Africa. Although I have a full statement of equivalence and over 25 years experience, I don't have the title. So, yes, just wanted to, to, to mention that. Well, thank, thank you. And, and apologies. That's a bit of a rum deal, I think. <laughs> well, to yeah. me, it's irrelevant. It's what I do that counts. Maybe it matters to others. I don't know. I, I hear you. So after, after my training, I, I moved back to, to England and I worked in adult mental health for 10 years. And that was really intense, working across inpatient, uh, day hospital, community work. And I actually experienced quite significant burnout. 
um, which has been really important in in my personal and career development since then. Mm. Uh, We decided we had to move away from the Midlands and get back to the seaside, which has always been really important to me. So I moved to Pembrokeshire, found a job in in occupational health, actually. um, And within a year, I set up the the well-being service, the psychological well-being service, and I'm still there 16 years on. So there must be something about being here and in this role that mm. that I'm enjoying to still be in it. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of a little. I hope that's not too much detail, but a a little snapshot of my career. Oh gosh, not too much detail at all. It's absolutely fascinating, and I love to hear the the moments where where you change direction and that commencement of a an artistic direction and then <laughs> weaving backwards and forwards. I love what you said about meeting with occupational psychologists in London and feeling that it was about the manipulation of the individual for organizational gain. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful because I think, I think there can be an impression of occupational or, or organizational psychologists still in that vein sometimes. Mm, I think that's right, but I think it's also moved on a lot since then, and mm. possibly the the kind of people that I were, were talking to perhaps represented a particular approach. Yes. It was quite a long time ago as well. Yeah, and I think, as you say, I think it has changed, but I think there can still be some wariness when we go mm. in and deliver a training-like act based on acceptance and commitment therapy, and we talk about these are skills that can be applied in any area of life, and people are like, well, why are you here? I they can be a bit wary about this training, mm. thinking, is it, yes. is it so I can do the work of three people instead of the yes. work I'm already doing of two people? That's right. Are you just trying yes. to get more blood out of a stone? Mm. But I think once they appreciate that it's, these are skills for the whole life, it can hopefully change that impression or, or soften it at least. Mm. So we'll come back to this nature connection, because obviously I know you're interested in ACT, and you can see how it fits into psychological well-being. So... How did you first come across ACT? Can you remember that? I did have a think about this um, because I, I wasn't quite sure when, when, when I first started reflecting on it. And I, I think it goes back quite a long way. I, I'm, I'm always doing research into what works. I'm very keen to find out um, as to what can truly make a difference in the longer term for people rather than quick fixes that, that might not stay. Um, And at some point, I came across um, the Mindful Effective Employee book by Paul Flaxman and colleagues. And I think Mm. it was that, I think that was probably my first introduction. Um, And it had a huge impact on me, especially because it was specific to the workplace. So it seemed ideal for the kinds of work that I was trying to develop for Howldar. And on the basis of that book and and my reading around it, I actually developed a new program for staff in Howarthar called You Matter, which was a six-module program. And we had great feedback from participants on that. But I wanted to take it further. I, I still had that feeling that I, I wasn't quite getting the most out of out of ACT. And I'm still a complete beginner at it. I've got so much to learn. And then we were very lucky earlier this year to have you and Paul come to deliver the training session. And I guess that's the that's been the next step now in my learning about ACT and mm. sharing it with staff. So I think it goes back to Paul's book. Wow. Wow. Yeah. He'll, he, he'll be delighted to, <laughs> to hear that. And He'll also say, oh, well, it's moved on since then. Yes, <laughs> yes. But yeah, that, that is a great book by 
Paul Flaxman, Frank Bond, and Frederick Livheim. It was really fundamental to many, and, it, and it's reached a lot of people. Mm. What we've, as you know, what we've done since then is redesigned and remodeled that. We're almost in the position where perhaps, and this might be a slight spoiler alert, but I think mm -hmm. it's okay to say this, we're perhaps thinking about publishing a new book mm. with the, the new protocol, which as, as you know, incorporates the matrix bore yes, yes. and other elements we've refined and simplified and made less wordy in some cases. Mm. So that would be a brilliant resource. So I'm I'm very keen that you and Paul do that. That would be brilliant. Well, I think I think I'm going to. It could be it could be a mission to start next year. We've we've dallied with it a little this year, and it yes. never really took off. Mm -hmm. But I think it could happen next year. So watch this space. I certainly will look forward to that. Yes. Now, now, before we go into delving into some of those topics in a bit more detail, Suzanne. I'd like to ask you a question I ask a lot of my guests, and that's about a, a piece of music. Would you be willing to <laughs> share with us a song that you'd be happy to use to announce your arrival in all life scenarios, whether it's um, arriving at work, entering your, your house? Is there, a, is there a song or an extract from a song that you would like to use for the next yeah. few weeks? This isn't for all time, this is just for the next no, few weeks. No. It's a really interesting um, question to ask and something to think about. And I, I, I did feel a little bit ambivalent about this when I first thought of it, about it, but since then it's it settled really well. So it, it has to be mm -hmm. Three Little Birds by Bob Marley. Ah. <laughs> which is a, a very strong reminder of my teenage years. It brings back very good memories from then. Oh, wonderful. And is there any particular part of it? Because that's, that's well, the one that goes, don't worry about a thing. Is that right? It is, yes, right. it is, it is. Sorry, I don't so want to the... destroy this favourite song. <laughs> you just select it. <laughs> you haven't destroyed it at all. There, there is that, um, which which is obviously very optimistic. And, and then there's the there's a little verse. It's a very simple song, actually, which is what I, I, I really like about it as well. Um, but it's, it starts with the words as well. I woke up this morning, smile with the rising sun, three little birds sitting by my doorstep. And I guess it's that, mm. that little verse that repeats through the melody that is a little bit about how I try to wake up in the morning with a sense of optimism and hope. And, and that's what the song brings to me. It's a message of simplicity and hope. Oh, wonderful. Mm. I love that. So it's that, woke up this morning, smiled with the rising sun, three little birds pitched by my doorstep, singing sweet songs of melodies pure and true. This is my message to you. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's oh, it. Craig, Lovely. Yeah. Well done, sure, Ross. I'm not sure whether that's going in or not, Suzanne, to be honest. Because I've, I've gone bright red here. Oh. Oh. Oh, dear me. <laughs> I suddenly felt very isolated there. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I couldn't join you on that, but no, I, no, I, uh, no. I'm not a public singer at all. <laughs> I, I don't know why I am. I ask myself that question. <laughs> <laughs> Suzanne, when you were talking before about your, your career history and your life history, you talked about curiosity, and I'd like to bring some of that curiosity to, to, to delve into 
some of the things you've mentioned, in particular your mm -hmm. NHS element of your career and and the connecting with nature part. So yeah. if we could begin with with the NHS side, and I'm fascinated to hear that you, you set this service up. Yes. Can you I tell did. us can you take us back then and, and talk to us what it was like setting up a staff wellbeing service sixteen years ago or so? I'll do my best. I'm not sure I can remember. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like a long time ago. The, the main rationale for setting it up separately to occupational health at the time was that the, the importance of objectivity and neutrality seemed to be really, really key. So providing a service, a support service for staff that they could trust, that they, that they saw as being within the organization but not controlled by the organization. And I guess that arose out of some of my um, views about um, occupational organizational psychology that we've already mentioned. Mm. So wanting to provide something that would be would be seen as as neutral and on the boundary of the organization. So providing a safe space for staff. Uh, and initially, it was it was mostly about that one to one support. But over time, we've we've built other elements in in terms of those training workshop seminar programs mm. supporting managers as well as doing team interventions and also working at a more strategic level working to influence the culture across the organization at a more general level wow so it's it's really grown across those mm. years from i love this philosophy this approach of creating that safe space and for that purpose mm. it has to be more towards the margins of the organization Yes, I think that's really important. And then, then when you develop, when did when did ACT come into the into the mix? I guess it came in in a small form when we developed the You Matter Wellbeing Development Program, which mm. was two or three years ago. It was a component of that. Mm. Um, but this year is the first time that we've actually delivered the psychological skills training act in the workplace which mm. is the, the the training that you facilitated for us um, in january this year so we've only done one of those um we ran it as a pilot with 12 participants and we've done quite a careful evaluation around it that mm. we're currently analyzing and the view with that is to be able to roll that out uh, for all staff across the whole organization which is quite a challenge for us because we cover three counties in west wales and we currently have four district general hospitals um, so we, we cover a very wide geography and, it, and it's a challenge to reach all of our staff in an equal way mm. but that would be our intention um, obviously on the basis that our, our evaluation supports that kind of development. Wow, wow, that's amazing. And any any glimpses you could share, I, I completely respect if you can't, but any glimpses you could share on the evaluation or, or any anecdotal feedback? Um, we're still we're still working on the the numerical data. Mm. We're actually collecting a fourth data point in the next week because we have a refresher session booked in for next week for the the, the cohort, which I'm really looking forward to. Um, and we're doing a fourth uh, data collection around that time. Ooh. So we we haven't crunched all the figures as yet, but the the qualitative feedback has been really powerful. People have found it quite transformational. Um, there have been a couple of elements to that. I think one has been about uh, being together in a safe space with people who are choosing to be there and who are willing to open up and talk about their experience at work. Mm -hmm. 
So that's been really powerful for people and very supportive. They've experienced it as quite um, a deeply compassionate place to be and very nurturing of their, their being at work. Mm. And then the other element has been about the, the components from ACT itself, you know, the skills and the, excuse me, the approach, um, which people have really taken to. Uh, some people have had experience, for example, of mindfulness before, um, different bits and pieces, but the way in which the the components are presented, the skills are are built up over the um, the program over the weeks. People have really taken to that and and have practiced and have seen how the practicing of these skills actually does make a difference to how we experience life, how we how we can engage with life in a meaningful way. Wow, wow! Thank you so much for sharing that because. Mm-hmm. Because it, a it gives me goosebumps, and b it's 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 building our case as 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 you probably know Paul mm. Paul and to some extent me we have to prepare uh, an impact case study report that your data will be enormously useful for us if you could share a summary when it yes. when it's available that would be amazing. Of course, very happy to do that. But but what I'm interested in is a couple of points there actually. I'm interested in how you delivered it because quite often when we go around talking to NHS trusts about this, they talk about different delivery formats. What what format did you use? Was it was it four sessions? Was it three? We decided to go for three, so we were very delighted to have some support from uh, Theresa Jennings' Jennings' team up in Northumbria because mm. they, I think, had made some modifications from the four session model to a three session and we decided to go with three sessions because one of the issues that we faced in presenting or facilitating these kinds of workshops with staff over time has been the issue of release staff being able to attend even one let alone a series of sessions and we know that the more there are and the longer they are the higher the dropout rate will be or the lower the sign up will be so we wanted to try and find a way of of allowing people to get into it in some depth, but in a way that was going to be manageable. Mm. So we went for the three-session model. Uh, We had 12 participants, and all 12 attended all three, which was brilliant. Blimey. The other thing that we did, and and we're interested to, to try and find out how much of an impact this had, was that we did ask for a learning contract for each person to be signed by their manager. Which we, which we got. So their place on the course wasn't confirmed unless we had that signed contract. And the, that was really about the person's manager supporting their attendance and releasing them to attend. So that there was that agreement. So, you know, last minute work pressures or staffing issues or uh, deadlines that suddenly, you know, came up that that couldn't be used as a reason why they couldn't attend because the manager had already agreed in advance that they would be able to attend the three sessions. So I don't know how much of an impact that had. We we would need to try and look into that. Thank you, thank you for sharing that because we're always interested in in that attendance mm. piece, and I love the idea of a, a learning contract. Never never occurred to me before, but it's something that. That other trusts might want to experiment with as well. Mm, mm. I love that sort of, there's something formal and written about the commitment there, isn't there? Yes, yes, definitely. And, and the other point I wanted to explore a little bit is, you talked about a refresher session. Can you tell me a bit about that? Well, when we 
uh, finished the three sessions and we um, asked for some feedback, a lot of people on their feedback sheets did say would love to come back and do a bit more or get together with the group again. So we took that to heart and the session is next next week, um, which I think is uh, between four to six weeks was a bit longer, actually, might be a bit longer than that. I can't quite mm. recall when the last of the sessions was, but it's an opportunity for people to, to come back together as a group to check in and to share how it's been going, if it's been going at all. And if it hasn't been going, what's got in the way to provide some support and space for reflection around that, but also to share successes. So the bits that have worked. We will be going over some of the main components again, just as a refresher and using some of the exercises again. Um, but it's really an opportunity for people to get together and review their progress and share that with each other, hopefully as a way of supporting their ongoing use of the skills mm. um, in, in coming months. That's, that's, that's brilliant because um, I often think that I'd love to do something like that. I've never. I have done in one organization actually, but sometimes mm. it's difficult to get that permission or the sign up. Yes, and but yeah. I think it's such a useful thing when I get a bit grumpy about it. I think in term, when I'm thinking about psychological skills and, and getting access to people, I think when people have to do um, mandatory training in certain things every year in organizations like GDPR or bias sometimes, or what else do they do? Maybe fire drills, first aid, yes, things like that. Yes. Yes. Why do we not pay more attention to the most important thing, our own psychological well-being? And I get yes. on that hobby horse sometimes in, in grumpy or, moments. But um, Yes, I do as well. Yeah. <laughs> I that, do that refresher sounds yeah. amazing. Mm, mm. And I thought oh, of another question now okay. that the other trusts might be interested in is, did you deliver with one, one facilitator or paired facilitators? How did that work? There were two of us, although on the third session, my my co-presenter wasn't available. So I did that one by myself. Mm. Um, so I did do Passengers on the Bus, the role play by myself. And I was really nervous about that. Mm. Um, but it was great fun. And it went down brilliantly, which um, which was amazing, given how nervous I was. So oh, the brilliant. You legend. I'm so, <laughs> it's great to hear that. Well, I, I, I had very strong memories of how you did it with us, with our group at the beginning of the year, and, and that really stuck in my mind. So I had a great role model to, to work from. Oh, bless you. That, that's very kind. <laughs> but working, working as a pair, I think, was very helpful, um, both for us, but also for the group in terms of having a variation of uh, the person's voice, the presentation style. Um, and I think also creating that space for the group to feel held, to feel safe, that there were two people there. I think it can be delivered by a single facilitator, but there's something extra that having two of you brings that I think is quite valuable. So where that's possible, that is the model that we want to keep moving forwards with. Mm. Wonderful, wonderful stuff. And I agree. I think delivering as a, a pair makes it an enhanced experience for your participants. Yes, it's richer, isn't it? But also for yourselves, you, you and your co-facilitator, it's a bit less exhausting. Yes, that's true. Having to hold a room mm. and, and be connected with what's going on in that room as, as one person, it can, it can be quite challenging sometimes. Yes, it can be, that's right, yes. 
Suzanne, thank you so much for your generosity in sharing that, because I think that's going to be so useful to people out there thinking, how do we bring this to our organization in, in the NHS or any other mm -hmm. organization? And mm -hmm. I think there's some golden tips there on, on how it could be facilitated, how you might get that leverage to, to make it happen. Now, Suzanne, I know as part of your NHS work, kind of on top of your day job, I know you're looking at the green health agenda in Howell Thar, and I think this will probably form part two of your interview. Now, Suzanne, being the cheeky sort, <laughs> I, I kind of anticipated that this would probably be a two-episode affair, and I've asked you if you've got two takeaways, so I can put one with each episode. So I wonder okay. if you wouldn't mind sharing with us your, your first takeaway for us to go and reflect on. Okay, will do. So the first one is, is about um, being at work, really, and an encouragement, an invitation to see how you can build in some breaks to your working shift, your working day. And within that, making use of a biophilic approach. So incorporating nature into your breaks in some way. So that might be about taking a break from your work environment. So getting outside, having a little walk, noticing what's around you, even if it's a five or a 10 minute walk, noticing the trees, the sky, the weather, the clouds, uh, feeling the wind or even feeling the rain. But just taking that time to get outside for a brief break. The other part of this, because sometimes people will say to me, but I don't even have 10 minutes or I can't get outside. Mm. One of the things I often share on our, our workshops uh, within Hawadhar are, are micro breaks. And this is fascinating for me in that some research has been done to show that taking a micro break of around 30 seconds where you're looking out of a window at a green landscape or even at a picture of a green landscape mm. can change the way that the brain is working. And it starts to bring us down from a stress state into a more relaxed state. So kind of triggering that relaxation response and that those changes in brain functioning are actually observable after 30 seconds. So they use PET scanning uh, to, to demonstrate this. And I found this really fascinating to learn about because I know that our NHS staff are really challenged when it comes to taking breaks. And oftentimes when I talk to teams about their culture around taking breaks, the first thing is, well, we don't have time. So I introduce this concept of micro breaks. And it's not just about having one micro break in a day. It's about building them in little and often, allowing your brain, your system, your physiology just to relax, recover for a few moments before you re-engage. Uh, so this first takeaway is about building in breaks and incorporating nature into those breaks in a way that's right for you. Wonderful, wonderful. I love the way you described that. I was captivated. And as you were doing it, I was looking around the room I'm in. You know what? I didn't yeah. realize there were three plants in the room. There's a cactus. Ah, there's, yeah. I think it's called a, it's called a yucca plant. Oh, right, and yes. there's one, I think, I don't know whether you call it the, like a money plant. I don't know what the proper name is. And then I went beyond and looked at the window because I'm in quite an urban area and I thought there'll not be much out there. But actually, I can see two patches of grass, which mm -hmm. I hadn't noticed. And I can see a surprising number of trees, actually. Mm. 
That's fascinating that you hadn't noticed that before. Do you know what? I can see 12 trees. <laughs> and as I say that, I feel a bit ashamed, but I've also given myself goosebumps oh. just looking at them and thinking, mm. gosh, you've always been there. Yes. And I've never engaged with you. Mm. Wow. Really powerful. Thank you for that. You're welcome. P-Supers, that's it. Part one in the bag. And in part two, we delve into the green agenda and it's a corker. Also, I'd just like to say that Suzanne really is the full package when it comes to podcasting. What a voice. So clear and serene. I can't wait for you to hear episode two. If you like this episode of the podcast, could I invite you to share it with one other person? I'm also really keen to spread the behavioural science and skills with more people. Of course, a subscription, rating or review are also very much appreciated. The show notes for this episode are at rossmackintosh.co.uk and this includes links to a few other platforms. And you can find more links if you search for PeopleSoup on Linktree. So how can you get in touch with us and let us know what you think? You can get in touch at peoplesoup.pod at gmail.com On the Twitter, we are at peoplesouppod on Instagram at people.soup. On Facebook, we are at PeopleSoupPod. And that's it, P-Super. So thanks to Andy Glenn for his spoon magic and to you for listening. Have a great week and bye for now. Oh, dear me. <laughs> I suddenly felt very isolated. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I couldn't join you on that, but I, no, no, I, uh, no. I'm not a public singer at all. <laughs> I, I don't know why I am. I ask myself that question. <laughs> <laughs>